so many people at varying degrees of understanding that you have to have these questions that you give out when you're doing these interviews that they have to span different depths of knowledge it seems like um, oh, yeah. is that kind of the case yeah a lot i mean it's definitely you know i found that it's really important to to meet people where they're at you know like well, what's the point of talking about this high level spiritual achievements which might be interested for few selected, but you're just talking over the head of everybody else. There's no point in that. 100% agree with you. And for those of you listening now, this is Amrit Singh, um, a spiritual and life coach. How are you doing today, Amrit? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited that you're here. We did this uh, last minute. You came in and filled a gap because we had somebody reschedule. And I got to tell you, that was going to be a very heavy show, <laughs> so I'm kind of relieved that I don't have to do that one this week. I can put it off to another week. Um, it was just a, a trauma show, so it wasn't going to oh, wow. be uh, the most exciting thing to discuss, but needs to be discussed. Of course. That important. said, why don't you tell everybody where you're at, kind of uh, what you do, let's get an overview, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so quick overview. I live in Mexico right now with my wife and my two children uh, last, uh, we just moved here last year before that COVID lockdown we spent in Germany, which was mm. rough because, you know, the Germans take everything very serious. And so they've oh. been known for that, I think, somewhere in history. <laughs> <laughs> so we did a really good lockdown. It was really, you know. It was like one person was allowed to go walk the dog outside. You know, that because probably two people scared are, some people too. They had to scare uh. some people because we forget uh. that the World War II generation is not gone. Yeah, There no. are still people living from the effects of that. So it had to be terrifying in multiple ways in Germany to see totally. something like that come back full circle would well, scare the bejesus out of me. Totally. Yeah, and also the Germans have this really, this tendency of being just overly strict. You know, like if you, if you walk in a store and have your nose sticking out of your mask, not the person who works in the store, but some other customer will point out to you that you'd please, you know, wear your mask properly. <laughs> it's just... You know, Germans are very blunt. Yeah. And they communicate well with Germans. <laughs> but when you take a German and you slap a different language on them and you put them, you know, with other people, it can come across gruff. Yes. Kind of like a Russian. But in reality, it's just as empathetic a discussion anywhere else it just doesn't come with that sugar coating that you get in other countries. <laughs> oh, that's very true. Oh, I always thought, thought I'm not so German. You know, I was, was, was wishing to think of myself as a little less German. I lived outside of Germany more than half my life. And, but what always happens to me is that when I'm around non-Germans, I'm the most German, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you start to see everything it's oh, magnified yeah. oh, by the yeah. lack I'm of thinking, it from everybody oh else oh my god that's what I ran away from and I'm doing the exact same thing here <laughs> <laughs> I, I do um, 
sort of relate. I left a very southern, remote living area as a child, and it's not anything that that I can assimilate with now. If I tried to go back there, I would stick out like a sore thumb. But I'm sure amongst people that are not from there, I probably appear very Floridian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it goes. So for me, it was like that. So that was the, this little two-year period in Germany was kind of just a reminder why I had left. Because mm. before that, I lived in India for 20 years. And so that was kind of my the period of my life, which really had a lot of impact on me. I, I got there when I was 25 and I lived there for 20 wow. years. And so it was a big thing. You know, I, I really grew up in India and really became a man and, and realized what, what are my priorities. And I, you know, started my family there and my wife came with me and one of my kids was born in India, actually. And so it was quite an experience. It seems like it would be, especially coming from the type of background that you were from and then going to a country with a completely different view or philosophy of how life should be lived. What I'm enamored with in this story is that somebody at 25 years old has the wherewithal to make decisions spiritually and start a growth path when I was still doing beer bongs and hanging out the army with no idea oh, what was coming in life. Oh, I did too. That that was exactly the issue. And I realized I can kind of tie it back to the age when I was 14, 15, when I started smoking weed the first time. And I realized like, mm. oh my God, you know, that there is a whole nother world out there of, of what interesting life and spirituality. And 30 years ago, it was close to impossible to find a lot of material. You know, the internet wasn't up and functional. You had to find like a random book somewhere from someone who had a very specific view on something. There was no generalized approach. So I ended up smoking pot for a long time until one of my friends actually said, hey, I, I got this yoga teacher who's willing to teach um, all of us. And so we went with a whole group of friends and did yoga. And out of those 20 of us who went, I think only two stuck. And I realized doing the yoga practice, I, I suddenly got the same experience I got from smoking weed. And I was like, wow, this is cool. I like this. This is interesting. I want more of this. And so I ended up going and, and traveling, went to a yoga festival, which was in France, actually. And I went there and was super inspired. I did the yoga. I stopped cold turkey, you know, like smoking cigarettes, weed, everything. You know, went through this huge detox while I did the yoga. All of that with 20, right, right. you know, like... With, all in, all in. All in, all in, yeah. So that's kind of how I live my life. And so then I came to this point where I was like, okay, this is it. My rest of, the, of my life is clear and set in stone. I'm just going to be healthy, never do anything stupid again. And then I got home and I was like, shit, this is hard. You know, this was much easier when I was around all these other people who were practicing. Mm. But someone had told me, you need to at least 40 days, give it this 40-day period and just experience it. So I, I pulled through, did my 40 days. And then on day 41, I just caved in. I was back to, you know, beer bongs and, and joints. And so that was the end of that. I was like, like you just... You did you did the equivalent of Lent. <laughs> you went through that that 40 days of giving up like the worst cookie for yeah. you. You're like, I'm yeah. giving up Oreos for Lent. Yeah. You gave up 40 days and yeah. then on 41 you ate 
the whole sleeve of Oreo. The whole package. <laughs> so that's very American, too, by the way. Yeah. Like, that would be something we, well, now we give in like week, uh, week one. <laughs> <laughs> also, for me, that was like that. I mean, it felt good because suddenly, you know, my friends were able to communicate with me again. You know, I had like a point to relate and, and everything went back mm. to that. But then the next year came and this was an opportunity again to go to that yoga festival. And I was like, I'm going again. So I went the second time. And so I was a little more prepared. And I was like, okay, now for the rest of my life, never again, right? So I lasted three months <laughs> the second time. So which was better than 40 days. Admirable. And then it just 90 days, man. That's like going to rehab. I know. I'm I'm going like uh, one level up every time. But then again, you know, right back down. And then on year three, I lasted a little longer again. And by year four, I was just like, okay, this is it. I'm not doing this Groundhog Day experience over and over again for another round. I'm, I'm getting out of here. And so I packed my bags and moved to India. And... That was it. That did it, right? I mean, that's when I when I stuck with it, and I was able to to stay away from all the stuff for twenty five years. That's an amazing story, and I love that you started the path through what is labeled as a gateway drug or something of that nature. I don't think in the last episode we talked about. I believe plant medicine is the earth authentically forcing us to move forward because we're stagnant in our own growth. Yeah. And it's giving us the items to give us that, you know, extra push. It's like meditation on speed. Exactly. exactly. Um, <laughs> it really is. But what's amazing is that, and I'm glad that you did weed and not shrooms, because I think that at a younger age, when you do shrooms, especially in a large dose, you don't have the foresight or wisdom to understand what it is that you've just ingested and the alternate viewpoint that you're taking in. Yeah. Most people just quit when they're that age and they try it. They do it once. They're like, oh, the world sucks. So why do I even try? Because it is kind of a cosmic joke. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's a really shitty joke. But you didn't do that. You stayed on a path. You pursued actionable steps every year. And I bet if I were to ask this question, did it ever feel like work when you were there? Oh, it felt like I arrived. You know, I felt, I felt ah. so at home. I felt so taken care of. I just didn't know how to integrate it. You know, the, the, it was great while I was sitting there uh, with all my yoga friends at the yoga festival, meditating, doing my thing, but I didn't know how to bridge the gap to integrate mm. that in my life with my friends at home who, who had no interest in yoga, a healthy diet or any of that. They just wanted to go out and party. And so, you know, then this other thing came, this, this mental judgment, you know, which I put on myself mm. where I said like, oh, look, I'm better. I'm like, I'm, I'm up here. They're just down here. Spiritual right? judgment. Yeah. That's a real thing. Spiritual ego. It's a huge thing. It's, yeah. it's something I Woo. had to struggle with for 20 years and probably still struggling with to a certain degree, you know, because it is, it, it, it comes right along with, with anything, you know, when you're good at something, when you're good at some sport, when you're good at some, good at writing, when you're good at whatever you're good at, you know, the ego aspect is, is part of it. And that's okay too, mm. but it gets in the way and it really trips you up 
Because in the moment when you walk around thinking like you you got it all figured out and everybody else is is kind <laughs> of inferior, <laughs> that, that doesn't yep, go yep. over well. <laughs> no, it does not. And the fact of the matter is it wouldn't go over well with you if you were on the receiving end of that type exactly. of discussion. And it's hard for people to realize that when they're the ones that are giving that type of advice or guidance. What we have to realize, though, is that anytime somebody's giving you advice and guidance, unless there's a dollar sign at the end of it, their heart is in the right place based on the reality that they've operated within to that date. So they're not trying to purposely misguide you or mislead you. And if people could filter arrogance and take people for what, it, you know, face value, for what it is that they're telling you at that moment, we'd probably get along a lot better. It's kind of a German thing, I think. Yeah. Um, if I were to analyze <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And But that's also where I learned growing up and getting older really helps. You know, just you've been around oh, yeah. the block a couple more times and you've seen, met more people and suddenly it all makes more sense. And, you know, you really realize it all comes back down to just don't be an asshole. Just be a little bit more kind and, you know, open your heart. And things go much better. Don't be an asshole. That's <laughs> why our uh, tagline is be cool and keep learning. Yeah. Be cool is covertly don't be an asshole. Yep. <laughs> totally. <laughs> is really what we're saying. I couldn't agree more <laughs> with that. And I want to talk about something that I looked through, was doing some research on um, your TikTok and some different things. And one of the things that came up, because part of your spiritual coaching, I saw that you discuss financial yeah. aspects of life, which a lot of times when we talk about these spiritual journeys, it starts to become the law of attraction and everybody's just trying to wish upon a star so that they get their big pile of money. Yeah, yeah. And I lived that life but, buying but cars, secretly, buying houses. You have to wish secretly because wishing openly means you're a bad person because you ask for money. Oh, yeah, because judgment's a bitch. And we internally is even worse. That's a whole nother story. But I firmly believe that money comes to you through the pursuit of authenticity and passionate work. Yeah. Right? And you utilized in one of your messages the word tool. Yeah. Money is a tool. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. That it's not about getting rich? Oh. It's it's a little bit like the, for me, like the explanation of prosperity. You know, being mm. prosperous can mean having a lot of money, which then will be used as a tool, hopefully. But being prosperous is about having good health, about having good relations, about enjoying your life, having a nice place to live, you know, seeing your children mm -hmm. go up. That's prosperity. And if you're on top of that, can have the money to be able to have a car, to be able to live in the place where you want to live, to be able to pay for the school where you want your children to go to. That, that's amazing. That's, that's using it as a tool. If you have a big pile of money, which you just let sitting around in your bank account and you're like hoarding it, you know, and grabbing onto it and you don't want to share it, there, there's no flow in it. And then what mm. happens is money becomes this this overbearing, heavy, uncomfortable thing and you're feeling like everybody just wants to steal your money and rip you off, right? So it's money is, is an expression of energy. 
And it's a, it's a tool which we use in our society to exchange things. You know, like when my gardener comes and cuts the lawn, I can give him a hug and give him a two-hour lecture afterwards and say, here, you're welcome. Or, you know, or I can give him some energy <laughs> through some money which he can actually appreciate. I read once, um, I want to say, I'll come up with it later, but there was a term used for money. And that term was bio-survivability tickets. Ooh, I like that. And it couldn't have been described better with that term. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean shit otherwise. And the more you stack up, they still can't be used. They can only be used at a certain rate. You can put a pile of them there, but they don't serve anything other than to survive in the reality that we've created. That's it. Yeah. And then, like you said, when you start coveting the stack of money versus the life as a result thereof, the things that you were pursuing money for in the first place. I think this is something that it's a bridge that people coming from a lower socioeconomic background into money cross very dangerously all the time. Yeah. I did it myself. Because when you grow up impoverished, your viewpoints of what success is and happiness come from a completely different set of lenses. Yeah. So if you've lived that impoverished life for so many years and you now have the opportunity to fill that what you believe is a void of immaterial items, you know, or material items that you could immediately supplement that gap in your heart, you know, so you start grabbing these things because you believe that everybody in the middle class and above is happy like they are on TV. Oh, yeah, of course. I say it all the time. It's an old Western set. Yeah. What you don't realize is once you get there, everybody's laying on the floor behind their front of their house, crying their eyes out. And you'll spend so much time tilling and buying all these things, hoping that you'll get happiness only to find out about 40 years old that it don't mean shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a temporary high. And then you're already trapped in it. And that's, that's really the big issue, you know, with the whole idea. Trapped. You need to have a house. You need to have a car. You need to have two cars. You need to have, you know, have saved up money for your kid's college tuition, whatever it is, right? But in the end, it's this, oh my God, now I can never leave this, this rat race again. Because what we're going to do, you know, tell my family to move out of the house. And then it becomes this, especially for us men, you know, like it becomes this, this ego oh, yeah. thing where we're like, hey, well, we're not going to move our family out of our house. We're going to like just work harder and we work 15 hour days and get a second job and get a third job and just push, push, push. Right. And so, mm -hmm. and then in, in extension to that, start closing up our hearts and closing up our connection mm. to our soul because the only way where we can keep pushing that crazy and not really connecting what we know we should be doing, which is opening up and getting into flow. And, mm -hmm. and that's where people start getting sick because getting sick is the only way out of it, right? That's like when you can stay at home and say, oh yeah, but, but I have this really bad sickness. So I, and I can't. Mm. Victimhood is a really comfortable chair. Oh, of course. If it's yeah. the right one. Yeah. You you can live in that and ride out your days on the rock and repeat next time and hope that you get looks and money on day one. Yeah. You can keep doing that. Keep trying. It's not going to work out. 
You're only going to get those things when you treat yourself with the respect it deserves. And you find that it's not the pursuit of the money and the career under any circumstances. It's finding exactly what you feel most inclined to give back to humanity. Yeah. I don't give a shit what it is. It, you could be an actuary or an artist. You can both the damn, they're both artists in my mind, but everybody has their contribution to bring to the table because they're authentic. They're made one way. We're yeah. a solid at the same time. To be a solid, we have to fit with everybody else. You know, air is there. So we're still intertwined like a puzzle. Yeah. Right? So you have to come with the flaws. And it's it's tricky because this is something in our age, it's a little easier to get to, right? And to get to this epiphany mm. and be like, oh yeah, this is, now I finally figured it out that I have to follow my heart and be authentic in this world and express myself and give my gifts back. But then you're tied in, right? You're tied in through your mm. mortgage. You're tied in through your current lifestyle. You're tied in. And then you try to explain this to someone who's 19, 20 and has their whole life in front of them. And they're like, oh, I just want money. I'll just go study to be a lawyer because they make a lot of money or I'll go become a stockbroker because that's the coolest thing ever. And you're, you know, like it's this, this disconnect, they have the option, but they're not there yet because they haven't had that experience. And in an old age, you can, but then you're, you're, you're tied in, right? And you're stuck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny you say the, um, the generation that pursues the flashy jobs, the ones that have the most money or the most charisma and that gets the most accolades or that type of thing. I have noticed, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I have noticed that current generation, the, the one that's in school right now or in their early years of college, that I use an analogy when I describe that generation with regard to empathy. The only way that I can describe it is that a, they have an unbelievable amount of empathy and they're really trying to move humanity forward ignorantly, not their fault, yeah, right? Pushing it one direction with good intent, right? And I think that they're like Cyclops from X-Men, right? Oh, interesting. So when you take off the glasses of Cyclops, what happens? He's mowing shit down. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> yeah. And that's their empathy. Yeah. They have no wisdom lenses. They don't have the ability to filter through that and discover what's an implicit bias, what doesn't carry the same amount of fault or understanding. And I think that's where we come in. Yeah. I think that Generation X or the upper millennial we're the ones that started bridging that gap. And I believe that there is an onus on us when we have been given the gift of discernment. And when you've been given the gift of discernment, it is imperative that you teach that to the next generation. Yeah. So my curiosity yeah. is, do you see that in this generation? Oh, I think it's such a cool point you're bringing up because this, what we teach the next generation has nothing to do with what we're telling the next generation, right? You can like, mm. they don't give a shit what we say. They just going to copy what we do. And so 
by us being on this path, I think we're really influencing not just the next generation, but up to seven generations in the future with mm. a different way of thinking, with a more open-mindedness. And this is very much connected, goes the other way around too, like everything in life, right? Which goes up, comes mm. down. So for it's a us, pendulum. you know, exactly. So for us, seven generations back, look like just the life of our parents shaped us. The life of our grandparents, our great-grandparents, their beliefs, their thought systems, all this shaped us, our reality today. And so we don't have to be so surprised that we think, you know, like with 20, oh my God, we have to make a lot of money. We have to get this. This is it's generational. This is the people who survived in the hard winters in Germany, you know, with minus degrees, because they were the ones who worked 15-hour days and chopped the wood and you know, tended to the cows and, and worked and did and built and did all these things. Everybody else died out. So now on us, we are this middle generation between this, these new kids coming, which have such an open mind and such an amazing mm. ability. But limitless. Limitless. Now. Limitless is a perfect word. But we're we're the joint. We're this middle piece which really can make the difference and through our actions because they are watching us super closely. They're like, well, what oh, are these guys yeah. doing? Are they getting stoned and drunk <laughs> on the weekend or and go partying and watch TV all day? Or do they sit their ass down and meditate? Do they do they serve others? Do they go out and do community service? Do they follow their heart? Do they are they able to to cry in front of others and and show their emotions? You mm. know, like we're setting a whole new stage for this game and for seven generations to come. We need to help them either A, understand their lenses or B, clean them. I was thinking this morning, I, I think in descriptions and analogies and metaphors all the time. And one thing that came to my mind this morning, and I think it applies to what applies to the singular applies to the whole. I think um, I feel like the individual is also part of a larger mind. And I was thinking about, because I use the analogies of masks all the time, and that's what we use to get through society. We walk through and we wear different fear blocking, you know, apparati on oh, our yeah. mask or markings or whatever they might be. Yeah. And I also use Benjamin Franklin's bifocals as experience lenses and moving them up and down. No two people can have the same because they've got different colored lenses. And this morning I was thinking about, do you remember the old jungle gym? Uh-huh. Right? It was yeah. like a half circle, a dome, right? Imagine if we were talking singularly that a person was standing inside there and they were their mind and the dome was their brain, yeah. right? And they were looking through it and there was glass in all of those openings, almost like a kaleidoscope, yeah, yeah. right? And I feel like inside of that mind, as we're looking through the windows into reality, because you've got so many fractured directions that we're looking at any given time, it's like a honeycomb for God's sakes, that each one of those we will run up to when we, when somebody looks through it and it scares us, whatever that fear is, and we'll spray paint, right? <laughs> or we'll put something on it, some kind yeah, of film. Yeah, yeah totally. So the next time they look through, they either won't see us or they'll see something different. Yeah. Right? But the problem is, there's too many of them. 
You keep running to each and every one of those pieces of glass and spray painting it and then running back across because somebody looked at you through a lens differently now and you're spraying it a different color. And how long before you go bat shit crazy? Oh, yeah. Trying to do that. Totally. Because I think that our job is to find a way to show them that the lenses don't need to be tinted. Yeah. That they just can live clear and let life be. Oh, yeah. And I, I love this this example you're giving because it really also, what, what I'm imagining, standing in there spray painting all my little windows, like <laughs> what happens to yeah. the amount of light which reaches me? None. You know, I, oh, I, that's a great point. I sit in the darkness because I did such a great po- job of spray painting every single one of them. Nobody can see my frail little shriveled, you know, golem self laying there because I have stained glass all the way around me that everybody can see and thinks beautiful. And worst case is, I I don't see it either. There's no light there. That's the thing. I sit in the darkness thinking, okay, now now things are okay. You know, no one can see. What's funny is you can actually crawl through any one of those windows and turn around and look back at the dome and realize that all of that was an illusion. And had you been standing outside the dome, it would have been a different reality. And that's why the plant medicine comes in. And that's where what they talked about, the shrooms and those kinds, the ayahuasca experiences and all that stuff. That's really Mm -hmm. what that is, right? It takes you out. And that's why when you're 15, that's, that's a lot to be taken out and look at it like that. But after you've mm-hmm. been busy spray painting for 30, 40 years, that, that might <laughs> yes. be a good thing to do <laughs> to just have a look because, you know, this, this same experience is possible in deep meditation. But to get mm, to the yes. point where you really you are able to go that deep, it takes years and years of practice. And, Generations sometimes. Yeah. And monks. Over and over again. Of course. I didn't get oh, yeah. there yet. I'm close. You start now. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. But this is the thing. And this is, I think, where we can all support each other with these kinds of, you know, to show, hey, it is possible. You know, I've been at the exact same spot you are at. And I'm just, you know, I, I can relate to what you're doing. But keep mm. crawling. You know, you you got your head out through the window. Just get your arms out too and, and jump. It's going to be okay. Absolutely. because. There's nowhere to fall. Yeah. It's hard to grasp that. It was for me. Um, and I've meditated for about three years now. I haven't missed a day. That's amazing. And the reason that I stay in that is to give myself a level playing field to work from. Yeah. And it allows me to accept reality for what it is. For me, meditation was a gateway to understanding or actually forgiving humanity and myself. Mm, yeah, beautiful. For what it was, what it is, and what it's going to be because it's nobody's fault. While we believe it is because... Fault is just a way to keep people inside of a structure. Yeah. It's judgment. It's shame. It's an illusion. It's low vibrational energy. Low, very low. Yeah. 
it's very dense yeah. and it doesn't, it serves no good except for to keep the person casting it in a higher position. Yeah. And we don't realize that. You also have that situation where you walk away every time you have those interactions. And the one part we didn't point out inside that dome is that you have to remember what that piece of glass was when you go back to look through it because that was the last interaction you had with that type of reality. That person, that party, that friend, that parent, whoever it was, you got to remember because you're not being authentic. You're wearing a mask in life. Yeah. Right? So you have to remember how you left it off too. Did they like me? Did I say something this? Because that's what we do. We do micro movements in oh, our yeah. brains when we walk away from any situation to stabilize ourselves inside that structure again. Justifications, shame or guilt, balance it back out. All right, I'm right here. Then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to run back to that same piece of glass and hope I get it right and spread again. Yep. Totally. Fucking, it's madness. Meditation for me was the way to start the day. Yeah. Say you had like a, um, I'm an avid believer that meditation at least one time a day should be in the morning. Yeah. And the reason why I do that is because it's like a phone booth yeah. in a game show, right? Remember they used to put dollars in there and they'd fly around <laughs> you and they, you know, there'd be like this lady in there with an apron, grabbing them, shoving them in, you know, like her shirt or whatever it is. Um, well, for me, the phone booth is the mind. The dollars are the thoughts. And the morning is the ability to walk in there and pick up the money before they turn the fan on. Mm. Oh, that's a nice one. I like that. I have to have a level playing field to work from. I got my own mental illnesses just like everybody else, a shit ton of them. And the only way that I'm going to navigate a day even remotely okay is to take that internal stock first. Yeah. You know, count count the beans, see where I'm at, and go back out there and try this uh, hamster wheel one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask a additional question because I think as a society, we don't delineate correctly between religion and spirituality. Mm. You mention it in some of your topics, and I find that one very intriguing because to me, it just simply feels like two languages yeah. telling the same story. Yeah. Oh, for me, it was like in my story, I was born Christian. In Germany, like, you know, my mom actually is a, was a primary school teacher for religion in school. And so, you know, for, for her, she, she did a great job in, in not putting on this, like, oh my God, you have to do this religious thing and that. And, you know, it was always my free right. choice. You know, I, I never had to go to church. I mean, I, I made the choice at some point to go to my confirmation and then I had to go for like nine months and I did it like, oh, I get money, you know, I'm, I'm totally doing this. I mean, I'm getting, you know, learning the, you know, the prayers and everything. Money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. That, that, well, so money, only reason I did money it. Money and girls. Yeah. In those ages. Money and girls. Money totally. and girls. No, the girls, it. you didn't get any girls from doing <laughs> that, but you did get money. So I was in. And so, <laughs> you know, but then right as it was done, I was never back. 
you know, like, was like, well, why would I want to go back to church? I mean, fucking boring for me. And so <laughs> exactly. then, then this, when I started with the yoga practice and I saw these people wearing these turbans and having the beards and I'm like, what's going on? Well, what are you doing? You guys look super religious. It's weird. And I realized I related to it because they could explain to me that those were tools. And so I'm not going to go too much into the turban, but just because you got a beard too, I'm going to talk a little bit about the beard. The beard is a tool which allows us men to rebalance our, our feminine energy. Because, you know, we're all no like 50% male, 50% female, right? So this, Beards make you more feminine. No, no, I love that. No, actually, it allows <laughs> you to integrate your femininity. That's the, you know, it allows you to not be afraid of it. Because what it does is, it's very mm. simple science. Look, like every hair on our body has a function. The function is to capture solar energy and bring it to the point where the hair is rooted. That's why we have it on our brain, we have it on our armpits, we have it on our genitals, all these areas which need that little bit of extra young energy, ah. that warm energy, you know, like the yin and yang. It's like moss. Yeah. It's coming out to get some uh, some sunlight from the creepy areas, like mushrooms. It's, it's like pulling it in, right? It's pulling in that, that stimulating energy. So now, wow. women don't grow a beard, right? Men grow a beard. Children don't grow a beard. Man grow beard. Why is that? You know, like either, you know, someone who did the creating like fucked up on that. It's like, oh, I missed this part. You know, I got a beard coming out. Yeah. So sorry. I gave you guys razors. So, 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 so you're safe, right? So now we're, yeah. we're all shaving our beards. So we look like 15 year old boys. That's not what it is. It's, you know, like when you, when you look at the head, the head has two sides to it. It has the sun center up top where the energy of the sun comes in. And then obviously on the bottom of the head, on the chin, we have the moon center. The moon center is all about sensitivity, connection, listening, absorption. You know, sun energy is all about going out there and killing it and doing and getting shit done, right? So the combination of the two is what makes us human. And that's why I, I love the yin and yang because it's just the perfect explanation of it. That's our show logo. Oh, yeah, is, there you go. is a yin yang. Yeah. It's actually resonated with me my entire life. Just to kind of piggyback on your, you know, journey and how things come up earlier in life that you don't realize are going to be something completely, a whole different world is going to apply to you from such a small, minute thing. You're always on your path, whether you realize it or not. And when I was like 18 years old, 19 years old, I was in the army and I had left the, you know, that small hillbilly town. And it was the first time I had had money in my pocket, all these things. But for some reason, I always was drawn to the yin yang. Yeah. It was just something that I like when I saw like TNC surf design had it in places and all oh, these yeah, things. So I was like, cool. that is that's just, why I bought TNC it just stuff. Drove me in, <laughs> right. Exactly. Drew, it drew me in. All the time. And the first second I got a chance, without thinking about it, nothing, I went and got a tattoo on my right shoulder of a Oh, that's awesome. And now, yeah. <laughs> the logo of the show is so cool. and everything that we're doing is all It's about all about that. that. And it's so cool. I actually spray painted it on the back of my jacket when I was 15. 
You know, and I got so many people <laughs> who would, would stop me and like, what are you doing? You don't even know what this means. I'm like, I don't know what it means, but I love it. I'm wearing this for the whole exactly. world to see. You know? So that was, that was the thing for me. But let me, let, let me just finish the thought on the beard. So what happens is, and you've, we've seen this before, you know, like before someone starts crying, you've seen on people who don't have beards, the little point here on the chin starts shivering. You ever seen that? That, that little point? Yeah, it's the, the lip quiver. Yeah, it, it's below, right? It's, it's on the chin. It comes. Kids do it. The, the, the lip quivers because the chin shivers. It's because that moon center really engages and really, ex- ah. you know, has that energy. And that's when the tears can flow and this emotional release can happen. So the body knows how that's to handle super it. super interesting. So for us men, it's this amazing thing. We are having this ability to grow hair on our moon center to allow us a deeper emotional stability so that in situations where we have to hold emotional stability, we can. That doesn't mean we're, we're closing us, our heart to our emotions, which funny enough is something which happens to a lot of men, you know, in our mm. society. Most men don't have beards. So most men found a way to regulate their emotions by suppressing them. You know, I did that for many years until I came to the point where I recognized I can be sensitive. I can be emotional. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like, same as we talked about the tool of money, that the tool of my beard is my emotional stability, which allows me to hold space for my children, which allows me to hold space for my wife, for many things, for my clients in many ways. Have you ever flown a kite? Um, just like a small one? In just there? A, yeah, yeah. One, one yeah, string yeah. regular yeah, yeah, kite, have. right? Have you ever flown a kite without the tail on? Uh, or the tail come off? Starts spinning, oh, yeah, there goes you go. nuts, hits the ground. It's a piece <laughs> of shit. I feel like the beard is like a kite tail yeah. for the rest of it. It keeps you like centered. And allows you to yeah. maintain that position. Yeah, exactly. But, That's exactly it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, long story short, I mean, the reason I went out into the beard explanation is because that was my understanding of religion and religious form when I entered into this, the religion of Sikhism, where I was like, why do you guys have a beard? And they're like, oh, it's this whole long explanation. That's the reason. It's a tool. You don't need a beard. Have a beard if you want to use the tool. It's a little bit like when you want to drill a hole in the wall, you can use your little hand drill or you can use the power drill and do it in three seconds. You use the tool mm. you want to use. And I said, okay, but what, what's with the funny headdress and the turban thing? It's like, oh, it's because we have long hair and long hair is really a hassle. So what you do is you tie it in a knot, put it on top of your soul, of your sun center, and then we just put the, the cloth around to keep it protected. And at the same time, you know, it creates a little pressure, which allows the head to elongate a little bit and it opens oh. up the pituitary gland. And suddenly, ah, it's I'm something like, that is really, really malnourished. Oh, it's a freaking tool calcified yeah. it's it's beat the hell in back. oh yeah of course and so this practice of putting on my turban growing my beard sitting my ass down and reading a prayer in the morning is looks from the outside very religious but it's for me those are tools you know like for me the the first day where i where i 
was able to relax and not be so structured and strict about following through with my religious religious practices was the day I, <laughs> I did my initiation into the into the Sikhism path and I realized shit has nothing to do with the daily practices, has nothing to do with the religious aspect. These are just tools. And if I can use my going to church on Sunday as a tool to be a better person, be a better father, be a better husband, damn, yeah, go to, to church every Sunday. Go Wednesdays too, because it makes you a Hit better your person. your moral compass rock on. That's what I yeah. say. As long as you're not hurting other people and it gives you a good moral compass, I don't care what you believe in, a spaghetti monster, God, Jesus, Muhammad, whatever it is. If you're being cool because of it and you're not hurting other people, rock on. Yeah. Who am I to judge what your lenses look like? They could all be just as real across the board. In fact, I kind of believe they are. Uh, They're just different of versions of the same thing. It's just different tools. That's the thing. You know, like what power tool do you use to drill your holes? In the end, it doesn't matter as long as you do a good job drilling the holes and you don't mess anyone else up. But this is the biggest problem. And I think this is where religion really got such a bad name because the actual word of religio, you know, comes from the Greek, which means to reconnect to your roots. It's a mm. beautiful thing. Like, wouldn't you want to reconnect to your roots? And so, you know what? Like I could turn around. Wouldn't you want to be religious? And you say, no, fuck hell. No, I don't want to be religious. Look at all the wackos. Religious is authenticity. That's all it's telling you to be is yourself. Yeah, but that doesn't sell so well. So over the marketing for the last 2,000 years, you know, to get your <laughs> coffers full, you know, you needed to get people into the shame, into the guilt, into the judgment. Oh, yeah. You say, you don't come on Sunday to church. You don't go to your Gurdwara, which is our temple where we practice. Then you're a bad person. And you don't wear your turban, then you obviously are much lower level because I'm much higher because I got the turban and the beard, right? So that's where the mm. where all this shit comes in. And again, shit with good intention to like, hey, I'm just doing this because I want you to do better. And that's why I'm forcing my religious beliefs on you because wouldn't your life be so much better if you never X, Y, Z, right? Mm. But when you look at somebody and make a judgment of their situation, you're only pointing out the fear of the stability in your own. Of course. Because if you need to knock somebody down, you're trying to hold yourself up. Yeah. The question has to be asked to yourself. Why do you need to tell them? Yeah, 100%. Well, only issue with that is when you get to that point to realize that, usually the amount of judgment in your life goes down dramatically because you catch yourself every single time. You know, before that, when you when you don't comprehend that, there's a lot of judging. And Humans love authenticity. We don't judge authentic people the same way we judge people otherwise. The ones that stick out in time, those artists and those uh, musicians and, you know, those minds that just stand out, but they were the weirdest souls that ever walked the planet. But were they weird or were they being authentic? Yeah. And as humans, we're just drawn to them. You know, a Jimi Hendrix, you know, a Kurt Cobain, a, uh, a Vincent Van Gogh, whoever it is, whatever it is, you know, those people that were tortured in the mind, but the things that they put forth have stood the test of time. Yeah. 
we go and we look at those. We don't look at anything that's been repeated. You don't look at Van Gogh Part 2. You don't go see, you know, the Part 2 movies suck for a reason. Because they're not created from the heart. They're not created from that point that we're made from. They're created from mimicry. And mimicry is not going to help you. It's going to diminish over time. And I think it's such a great point you have because we as humans really appreciate authenticity in other humans, but not in ourselves. When it comes to ourselves, we're like, ooh, no, 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 I'm not going to show that part of myself. I can show this part here. This is, a, yeah, you know, these 40%, that, those are okay to show the world. But this other, like, man, nah, 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 I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know? And it's so That's funny. That's the shadow side. Yeah, but it's so cool because we, we all like authentic people, but we're struggling with <laughs> liking ourselves when we're authentic. And that, that starts. So I said when, it's a cosmic joke. Yeah, when you listen to your own voice, right? I mean, that's why I like doing the podcast because it's such a good practice of re-listening to how I sound and accepting to how I sound rather than thinking, ooh, next time I'm going to have to speak a little lower because I sound so much better when I speak fake, right? It's, It's wild. You know, when you turn on that podcast, who's speaking lower and who's loving themselves a little more Mm. and accepting of how they sound on the mic. We don't give a fuck about the guy that's lowering his voice (laughs) and that's talking about the same shit that everybody else is talking about or already talked about and repeating it. We don't give a shit about that person. That person might be successful in their own right, but they'll never be successful within themselves. Right? right? They'll attract this scenario of people that are drawn to mimicry because they're mimicking things themselves. It's its own fucking entity. But that podcaster that comes on the mic and bears their soul or pursues their passion or is devoting themselves to something greater, we're going to be drawn to that person because they no longer hate themselves the way that everybody else does. We're drawn to them because we want to be them. We want to be in love with ourselves and we're not. Like a great example of this is it just popped into my head. Have you seen the videos of Post Malone when he's on stage and he's doing his music? No, I haven't. I encourage you to go. He's a younger artist, very current, super cool dude. Go watch him on stage. When I tell you this dude defies what everybody thinks a rocker's supposed to be or a rapper or a musician. He goes out there and is just himself. He goofs around, sits on his ass, falls down, laughs about stuff, messes with the crowd, all these things. And he looks like a GD child. And you know what humanity does with him? They love him. Of course. They call him Posty. They want to give him his own world. You cannot say anything bad about him. And it's okay. I love it. But it's an example. Because he's not thinking about what he's doing up there on stage, except for just being himself. Yeah. If you are yourself, you're going to attract the people that you want to be around anyway. The mimickers go to the mimickers. Simple as that. Simple as that. Man, it's so cool talking to you. And I have so many more questions that I think we save for another episode and another day. Yeah, let's do a part two. I love to. 
I would love to do that. And I think on the next show, I would love to talk about yoga. Oh, yeah. Specifically, kundalini yoga, spiritual progressions, and evolution of humanity biologically and spiritually. I think that that's something that people don't recognize are happening right now um, at, a, at a very accelerated speed. And I think that with the right voice like your own, people can maybe get a little more understanding of what it is that we're moving towards as beings or as humans in general. Yeah, super cool. I love it. Awesome. Well, is there anything that I did not bring up that you would like to discuss before we go? No, perfect. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was such a great time. Thanks Likewise. for having me. And, you know, if people are more interested in, in what I do, follow me on TikTok. Check it out. There's always, I try to put something up every day just because it's fun and it's a great way to connect with people. I like your TikToks. Oh, great. Thanks. They make me feel happy when I see them. You know, the introspective isn't in your face. It's thought-provoking. There's a difference between telling somebody and planting seeds. And I feel like your TikTok plants seeds and it's super cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for the feedback. We appreciate it. Yeah. So definitely everybody check it out um, and try to book a consultation for spiritual coaching. We'll have all of that or life coaching. We'll have all that in our show notes where you can find Amrit. And I appreciate all of you for listening. And remember, be cool and keep learning. Totally. Thank you so and much. don't be an asshole. I mean, Things are much better. Yeah, then. don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs>